This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. Now, on our public health show today, we are putting psoriasis in the spotlight and going to zoom in on one particular form of psoriasis, which is called generalized pustular psoriasis. Um, overall, awareness of psoriasis as a debilitating and chronic autoimmune disease rather than just a skin disorder has um, been slow in building up, although it has been improving. And uh, you know, now we are becoming more aware that people with psoriasis live with chronic and painful skin problems characterized by flare-ups that are triggered by stress or illness and um, experience systemic uh, complications or comorbidities as well. And uh, we want to zoom in on generalized pustular psoriasis today as a rarer form, but also one that causes a tremendous burden on its patients and can even be life-threatening. So joining me for this discussion today, my co-host for the Public Health Show, Azrul Muhammad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. We also have two guests, consultant dermatologist Dr. Azura Muhammad Afandi and and um, Dr. K. Tiruchalvam, President of the Psoriasis Association of Malaysia, all um, bringing different perspectives to discuss the burden of generalised pustular psoriasis on individuals, caregivers and on the healthcare system. Thank you so much for joining me today. How's everyone today? We're yeah. good. Thank you for having us. Very smoky weather we're having. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. not great for our health. Yeah, Thank you for having us. We are very happy to share our views on this uh, important topic. Absolutely. But of course, uh, I think we start a bit generally first, uh, Dr. Azura, to help us uh, understand a refresher on psoriasis, that sort of bigger umbrella term. Um, what is it? And um, the, it comes hand in hand when you talk about psoriasis. It's misdiagnosis or, or just generally being misunderstood, right? Mm-hmm. Psoriasis is a common um, chronic uh, skin disease um, it has a genetic predisposition. So if you have anyone in the family with psoriasis, chances of developing the disease is um, even higher. And um, plaque psoriasis accounts for the commonest type of psoriasis. It accounts for about 90% of patients with psoriasis. And what they usually present as, they will have lesions on the scalp, on the parts of the body, for example, the elbows, the knees. But it can happen... Um, anywhere and what they uh, what we can see is they have these uh, red uh, scaly patches on um, those areas uh, the symptoms that they may get they can get um, itchiness um, pain from the break in the skin and the other thing is because of the visibility of the um, skin disease it can also cause an emotional distress for these patients so that is plaque psoriasis and there are also other types of uh, psoriasis where generalized postural psoriasis is uh, one of them. Let's go into that then. Um, how is it different from plaque psoriasis? Right, so postular psoriasis is a sub-classification of uh, psoriasis where we can also divide it into uh, localized and generalized. So for patients with localized postular psoriasis, they will have pustules, for example, on the palms and soles. They may get it on the nail um, area as well. Um, but if they have a generalized postular psoriasis, it tends to occur on um, any parts of the body. And it's also important to know that they may not have a plaque psoriasis together with uh, uh, the pustules um, on the skin. 
they may just have present with uh, they may present with just the pustules on the uh, red um, or erythematous base uh, rather than having the plaque. So they may occur together with plaque psoriasis or they may occur without plaque psoriasis. Okay. Mm. Is the sort of the underlying cause the same as with plaque psoriasis? Uh, it's actually not the same and um, studies have shown that the genetic mutation in um, patients with generalised pustular psoriasis is different compared to patients with uh, plaque psoriasis and they tend to be more ill. They have um, high fever, they, ha- they tend to have a systemic symptoms like pain, malaise, fatigue and it also tends to affect the internal organs as well. Oh, yeah. Such as? Mm, um, it can affect, uh, for example, they can have a hepatic uh, cholangitis means um, inflammation of the liver um, they can also be in sepsis because what what happens in pustular psoriasis is they have a lot of um, all these tiny pustules on the skin which they can join together. We call it forming lakes of pustules. The skin can break down. So whenever there's a breakdown in the skin, um, all these pathogens or organisms can enter. They can um, ended up having quite bad infection um, which can result in sepsis. Mm. Mm. And, and doctor, it does sound from the... Uh, wide range of symptoms that you're describing it it does seem to involve a lot of pain for the person who is suffering from it Um, what kind of quality of life are we talking about when it comes to a person who is um, um, suffering from gpp Mm-hmm. So the thing is about GPP and I, I suppose to an extent plaque psoriasis as well is the um, pre- unpredictability of flares. They can just have the um, flares at any time. They won't have any trigger symptoms. So um, it can be quite uh, difficult to manage um, um, in a way. So if we're talking about pain, yes, they do. Even moving certain parts of the body also will cause them um, discomfort and because of the overt inflammation, um, they have quite a lot of inflammation on the skin. So that can also cause a quite um, severe pain. They, some can't even move. So, so it yeah. affects mm. their ability to, on a daily basis, to, to have jobs, uh, be productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. you know. mm-hmm. And yeah. also depends on the severity. Some, those who have the localised pustules, we can still manage them quite easily. But those with uh, pustules covering from top to toe, so those are the ones that may have problem. They have to be hospitalised as well. We have to do dressings for them mm. and give them the treatment to make the pustules clear fast. It's like being, mm. it's like just your body is a just a huge wound, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. A huge open wound. A, a, a patient once described to me uh, when we had conversations with her, it's like my my body is, is it's like on, it's on fire. Yep, that's and, true. And they have trouble even you know, stepping out the house, you know. So mm-hmm. even going for treatment is a, is ordeal, much less, you know, getting the treatment, but getting to a point where they can drive, get into a car, go to the clinic or hospital, it, it's, they feel like every surface, it feels like it's on fire. Mm. Is, is that accurate, uh, Dr. Yeah, Tiru? I, I, I yeah. think to add to this, um, I remember the case whereby a patient, I think most probably it was blood psoriasis, and I think it must have covered his entire body, things like that, and he was really in pain, actually, and he didn't know what to do. He went and consulted some, uh, you know, some herbal, some traditional mm. medicine, and was unable to stand the pain of 
of of the plug psoriasis. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's plug psoriasis, right? Yeah, that was but from psoriasis. from PAM's perspective, as a patient group, yeah. um, what do you hear uh, when people uh, present with GPP? Like, uh, do you have members with GPP? What do you hear from them? What we have, I mean, uh, to begin with, I mean, not many patients are from GPP. You know, not not many. We don't get. Um, but more than that is this. They they also go through this uh, psoriasis. They go through a lot of this mental anguish, actually. Uh, you know, appearance of all this throughout the body and things like that. And many of them suffer this uh, emotional consequences of this. Mm. And um, and most people don't realize that it's just not the physical manifestation of the disease, but it's also the emotional and the mental consequences that are that are very, very painful for the patient and something that the medical professionals need to understand in the way, the, in the treatment regime for uh, for these patients. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit, Dr. Azura, about prevalence and burden of the disease? Because even though GPP may be rare, if you sort of put it within that picture, mm-hmm. but the burden is significant, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you are correct by saying that it's not as common as plaque psoriasis. It's probably about 1%, so it is, or less than that. It's actually very low. But the reason why it needs to be highlighted is because of the severity of the illness. It can also be life-threatening. So mm. it's um, something that we need to highlight, even though it's not considered a common disease. But if we compare the numbers of patients we have in Asian countries, there are actually a, a lot of patients with um, generalized pustular psoriasis in Asian countries compared to the European countries. For example, if I cite, if I may cite in a, one paper that was uh, published by uh, Dr. Chun and her team in Johor, she found that about 198 um, person per million uh, population in her study in uh, Johor um, patients actually have. Um, Postular psoriasis, and if it's compared with um, the European countries, they only have about between one to seven per million population, wow, that's and we a are huge up to two hundred. Mm. Yep. And if we look at other Asian countries like China, Japan, they also have similarly high uh, burden compared to uh, Caucasian patients. So even though it's not as common as plaque psoriasis, but because of the severity and because of uh, life-threatening consequences of it, um, it needs to be highlighted and we need to give some attention to this. Doctor, is it fair to say then uh, that pustular psoriasis seems to be more um, prevalent amongst Asians. Um, mm. Maybe there is a, a genetic disposition. Yep, hence why there are a lot of studies going on to look into what is the genetic abnormality in patients with um, pustular psoriasis. They have detected a few um, genetic abnormalities um, in patients with pustular psoriasis um, and studies are con- in ongoing to find out whether they're actually um, more than that. Yeah, mm. Because there must be something that makes why Asian patients are more at risk to develop that compared to um, 
uh, Caucasian. And in fact, um, Malaysia is actually one of the countries that they refer to to get an um, opinion on um, pustular psoriasis. Really? Because yep, wow. we do have quite a lot of patients compared to um, the other countries. So we do get um, invitation to um, give talks and get involved in any um, discussions or meetings related to pustular psoriasis. It, Malaysia is uh, used as a reference yes, uh, in the treatment say. of pustular psoriasis. That's, that's correct to say. It's used as a reference to get, um, in terms of consensus, how to diagnose, how to manage. In fact, mm. we are actually currently involved in, because it's... It's not a common disease, it's rare disease. And among the dermatologists also, we're still debating on how to um, diagnose and classify them. So we are actually in the process um, to look into what is the best way of uh, diagnosing and classifying it. Because um, I can tell you, even among the healthcare physicians and even dermatologists also, the diagnosis may get missed because it can present like um, other skin disease. Yeah. That's that's the beauty of data, of having data, right? Because mm. then we know there is a higher predisposition mm. among Asians in Malaysia. Uh, and of course, um, it all boils down to what can you do for the patients. Let's take a quick break, but we'll be right back with our public health show together with Dr. Azura Muhammad Afandi, consultant dermatologist, and Dr. K. Thiruchalvam, president of the Psoriasis Association of Malaysia, and my co-host, Azura Muhammad Khalib, from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. Stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. On our public health show today, we're discussing the burden of generalised pustular psoriasis together with my co-host Azrul Muhammad Khalib from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy and our guests Dr. Azura Muhammad Afandi, consultant dermatologist and Dr. K. Thiruchalvam, president of the Psoriasis Association of Malaysia. Dr. Thiru, diagnosis, misdiagnosis and missed diagnosis must be a huge challenge, right, for people living with psoriasis. It, it is. It is a huge challenge not only for GPP but for the other forms of, of psoriasis. Mm. Uh, let me just give you a simple example. My previous uh, president of uh, BAM, uh, Mr. Eugene, he told me that he was uh, misdiagnosed uh, for his scalp psoriasis for five years. They didn't know. They thought that it was dandruff. So many patients like mm. that yeah. went about for two, three years and fi- until they finally land themselves with a proper dermatologist and then or a rheumatologist in the case of uh, psoriatic arthritis, then they will find themselves languishing in many of these mm. other kinds of diseases. So, But this problem, misdiagnosis, is not a problem confined to Malaysia. It has implications on how does the primary healthcare physician addresses this? How do they filter this problem? I mean, the implication of this, are they well trained to look at, properly detect them and then before they pass them off? And, you know, I mean, there's another problem, Shokik, that we have to address that is... uh, you know, you don't find rheumatologists or dermatologists in, in Arau sure. or in some places. I mean, the rural-urban divide, let alone other problems that we have here can, you know. Mm. And you, you've highlighted some very important points there, especially with regards to the early diagnosis. Yeah. And very often we point the finger and say the uh, GP or the dermatologists I'm, themselves are not necessarily uh, equipped or informed. But really it goes back to 
uh, whether or not this topic is even covered, uh, I would even argue uh, in the uh, medical education of our healthcare <laughs> professionals, because it seems to be almost like a, a niche area. But where, where do you see there being a way to improve upon this diagnosis? And do you think, uh, you know, it goes back to the doctor or perhaps now in the in the day of internet, we can also, you know, uh, educate ourselves uh, to know? I think it's also, we need to educate ourselves but assuming that some of the patients may not have access to, you know, internet or may not have the sure. the wherewithal to to go and look into all these things, um, I will rather first address the problem from the uh, from the supply side. I mean, from the medical perspective, that is, how do we make sure that our our we have an integrated healthcare system, whereby in some cases where the doctor is not sure, he gets a team of other he refers to a, a, a nearby specialist, a nearby or somebody more senior who has gone through all this. They can work as a team, and you know sometimes they are also humans. I mean, sometimes you tend to miss actually, you know things. But if you're not sure, we need to address quickly. Get uh, get somebody else to to look at this again and. Maybe we can improve or we can ensure that our primary screening mechanism, in this case, the primary health physician, healthcare physician, goes for regular kind of, uh, you know, training for some come refresher courses on what their latest... It's continuing thing. medical education. Continuing CME, medical. Right. Because this is an endless, uh, you know, uh, uh, quest, actually. I mean, they need to do this because, as even Dr. Azura says, new... Pathways are coming out, you know, and we need to be, we need to keep ourselves abreast with all these things. Mm. I mean, in terms of like uh, medical school, what we get is only two weeks of dermatology as a <laughs> medical student. Yeah, so two weeks is impossible to cover yeah. all skin diseases. So only the common ones get covered. But uh, we are trying to um, highlight uh, dermatology because actually dermatology is a very common problem. If you're a GP or if you're a family yeah. uh, physician, you, you will see the bulk of the cases are actually skin cases. Yeah. Yeah. So it is an important topic to highlight, but maybe because it's not perceived as a very serious or severe disease, it tends to be uh, missed out in, um, for example, as a, for um, medical school um, education. Mm -hmm. But um, we are trying to highlight it um, more. So we um, educate the primary care physicians and even dermatologists. So we do put up um, these topics during our conferences. So mm -hmm. it has been discussed. Mm -hmm. yeah? But for diagnosis, yeah, it can be quite challenging for non-dermatologists to diagnose because mm -hmm. whenever they see pus on the skin, yeah. they will think of infection. That is the commonest right. diagnosis um, that uh, people think when they say a lot of pus on the skin is infection, which is, it's not wrong because, <laughs> for example, mm -hmm. if you have like what, this uh, infection called folliculitis or pharyncles or even fungal infection, we call it candidiasis, mm -hmm. it can look like pustulosoriasis. Mm -hmm. So m most of the time they are diagnosed as infection. Or there's also another condition where it's important to distinguish between the two is a type of um, drug allergy. Okay, so we call mm. it acute generalized azantimatous pustulosis. It's got a long name, okay, but it can look like pustulosoriasis. Mm. Small, small pustules on a red skin. So it can be 
a bit confusing even for the uh, doctors as well. Yeah. Hence why the history is very important. Normally, the acute generalized azantimitous pustulosis is uh, related to um, drugs. Okay, so we always ask about whether they have taken any new medication. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, we have to go back to the history. Mm-hmm. And yes, as you said, the expertise also need to be sought after if they're not sure um, of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But shocking, you know, that a lot of even doctors mistake psoriasis for eczema. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, that's, that's, another, that's also another common, mm, uh, you know, metabolism. and they go on, you know, with that's right. things like that. But the chapter doesn't end uh, even when an accurate or the right diagnosis is arrived at, right? Um, let's talk about what comes after that. What kind mm. of uh, treatment or therapies uh, would help patients? So when it comes to pustular, um, including localized and generalized pustular psoriasis, mm. what does treatment look like? Is it the same as other forms of psoriasis? Right. At the moment in Malaysia, we do not have... a. Uh, uh, a treatment that has been registered for pustular psoriasis. Okay, so we have tried um, many treatments um, along the way and um, that has been practiced by other dermatologists in other countries as well. Uh, so what uh, the, the problem with um, treating patients with uh, GPP or generalized pustular psoriasis is they're, they're quite ill. Most of the time they need to be admitted for skin dressing. And there's two school of thoughts, okay? We have one group of doctors who give systemic steroid so that the skin lesions resolve faster. And we have another group of dermatologists who do not believe in steroid. They do not give the steroid and just let the other medication take its time to work, okay? The, the treatment that we use for plaque psoriasis, for example, like cyclosporine, methotrexate, mm-hmm. acetretin, those are the treatments that we use for generalized pustular psoriasis um, as well. So treatment um, per se is not that much different, but actually it's not... Um, it's not approved for GPP. It's it's something that we try, and from experience, it does work for some patients. Mm-hmm. Okay, but uh, we are excited um, to know that um, there are a lot of new medications in the pipeline um, that has been developed specifically to treat. Uh, generalized pustular psoriasis mm-hmm. yeah, with the era of biologics and um, when people know what are the genetic defects so they can actually look into um, um, producing biologic that can actually uh, counter the um, genetic defect um, in uh, pustular psoriasis so we are involved um, like um, a few hospitals in Malaysia are involved in the clinical trials um, um, dealing with, in patients with pustular psoriasis and hopefully the medication, the biologic will get registered soon so that we can use it in our patient because from our experience, we have seen um, good results and good outcome from the medication. And it's, the thing is quite fast, very fast um, uh, results compared to the treatment that we have um, been using so far. The, the con- more conventional treatment yep, with the, the DMARTs. Yes. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. You know, if I were a policymaker right now and listening to this show, I would ask a little bit of a Ghana's question, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, if the number of people who are affected by this condition is, is so small, but the cost of treatment could be quite high, uh, you know, why should I, uh, you know, invest or expand money uh, in order to treat uh, this person when the same amount of money can be used to to treat a lot more people for other diseases. I mean, how do you 
how do you ask that 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 question? You know? Justify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's to do with um, the fact that it's life threatening. It can also affect the uh, mental uh, patient will have mental issues, and it's also associated with other comorbidities. Mm. Like same like what we're seeing with psoriasis, plaque psoriasis. So they also have other comorbidities like. Um, uh, it can affect the cardiovascular comorbidities. Um, they can have hepatic involvement. But what we're trying to, uh, by giving this effective medication, is so that the symptoms uh, resolve faster compared to the conventional um, treatment. Mm. Mm. And that person can actually have... A, a, a good quality of a life. A good quality of and life. And contribute to the society. <laughs> and, and, and is that something that as a patient... Uh, Dr. Tiru, is it something for patients to, or people living with psoriasis or in uh, fascicular psoriasis, should be looking at, uh, aiming for to have a good quality of life? A good quality of life. You know, if you ask for generally or uh, for patients, um, they would want to have a clear skin. They don't mm. care whatever it is, as long as it's a clear skin, doesn't give me problems. That's what what they they would all like to to have. Why is it so? It's because they feel that they can go to go outside, meet people, um, help their self-esteem raised. Mm-hmm. You know, many of them that in PAM we we find that we can't get them to come to our meetings, and sometimes feel very shy. Uh, you know, and they've tended to be reclusive and in nature and things like that. That is why we, if we can get them back to their former selves. I think we are doing. And to answer your first question, if, oh, that money could be used for other things, why as a country we should? I think my answer to that would be no one is left behind. Mm. My answer to that, as a country, I would, even if it's only one person, I will go out and do whatever I can to improve your condition. That is what, as a country, we, we stand for. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Azura, coming back to where you said there's not exactly a consensus when it comes to the protocol of um, treatment. Mm -hmm. So then um, what should people living with GPP expect then? And um, you throw into that mix the fact that there is so much fears over steroids, systemic steroids particularly. Um, How should we look at this in terms of improving outcomes for patients? Because, um, okay, if we talk about treatment, whatever that has been published um, in the journals, they are mainly um, case report or small case series, which has shown improvement. Hence the reason why we also um, use um, those treatments. But it's not FDA approved for uh, GPP. And uh, steroid, yes, it does cause the symptoms to... um, resolve faster but it's not without side effects because like how long can we continue to give steroid Mm. it's going to make the disease more unstable and it's like a vicious cycle you can never stop once you reduce a dose or stop it then it's going to come back you're going to have to give back so we have to break that cycle by having a effective and safe medication. Mm, yeah. mm. Um, the issue of side effects of treatment, um, Dr. Thiru, can you share the burden that patients do go through? So even though they need 
the treatment, they they would want the um, problems to subside. Um, but there's a lot of fear and a lot of um, trouble when it comes to uh, just coping with side effects also, right? I know. You, you, you hit the nail by saying some of this. Uh, problems arising from the use of say, steroids and things. Today I asked one of my colleagues in our group and uh, they mentioned that they had um, a case of this, what we call a steroid withdrawal uh, you know, kind of syndrome whereby uh, this patient was using steroids to address his uh, psoriasis problem and then when it stopped using it, it became worse multifold. You know, uh, so immediately this patient stopped using it and, and you know, hopefully, I, I hope it's much better now, you know. So it, it does, it does have, I mean, even my case personally, sometimes, you know, we, we tend to get you some of your side effects of using this will be like it, too much of itching and then thinning of your skin and, and all this. So you'll be careful uh, of how to use, apply this this treatment. In fact, showing this goes back to the basic issue is that when patients are being prescribed their drugs, they need to be carefully told how to use this. You know, very important as rule because very often what happens, I can only talk about my experience with particular hospital that I take medication. Sometimes the doctors will prescribe, but the dispensing is done by some others. And then they, you know, because of the crowd and all that, they don't really tell, I mean, don't have the time. Maybe we need to have a leaflets explaining to the patient how do you really apply uh, emollients or aqueous uh, your mm-hmm. cream and things like that so that they really the the treatment the, the medication is very effective and also dangers of applying your your steroids if you apply in places like your eyes and all that then when the potency is high it can be terrible yeah mm. so you and sometimes patients don't even know that they just simply apply, and then my God, my uh, I've got these problems here in my eyes and all this. How, and then they run to other uh, <laughs> Yeah, but topical steroids—they're not all bad. The thing is, yeah. there are different strengths of yeah. topical mm. steroid, yeah. and they need to know uh, which strength is appropriate yeah. for which area. Mm. So uh, we do not want a community of steroid phobia yeah. where they do of not course. want to use yeah. steroid at all because it's not all bad. It's just that it becomes of a phobia and people don't want to use it because they heard of a lot of negative stories but those negative stories are because it's right. not used appropriately okay? mm-hmm. so this is about topical but yeah. oral steroid actually it's uh, we shouldn't give it for plaque psoriasis okay? we only give it well, I would say here, no for oral steroid for plaque psoriasis mm-hmm. because it's going to make it unstable then they're going to run into issues like uh, developing what we call erythrodermic psoriasis where the whole body becomes red. Yeah. Or it can also cause them, predispose them to even developing pustular psoriasis. Mm. Mm. Uh, in, you know, we touch on very often on uh, treatment adherence, not just for for psoriasis, uh, but also other diseases yeah. as well. And it's a challenge, uh, especially when Malaysia... You know, we see the National Health Mobility Survey and it indicates that 30% of the population is considered health illiterate. And, mm. uh, you know, they don't understand the information that's given to them and they don't know how to make use of the information. Uh, so when it comes to um, patients with fascicular psoriasis, what, what kind of, of treatment adherence do you see so far with the, the treatment regime that you're using right now? Because it does seem uh, that there is 
almost uh, desperation to alleviate the pain, but also address some of those open wounds that are as a result of uh, the pus and, and the pustulas. It can be frustrating for patients because if you have experienced a large area of your body, uh, having to do dressing for them actually takes time mm. and they may not want to do it properly because of the pain as well. So hence the reason those who have severe disease, they will be admitted and the nurse will teach them what to do in case it happens again in the future while waiting for them to be seen by the doctor. They need to be educated on what what they can do as a first-line treatment before they get to see the doctor because it can take some time to do the dressing um, properly. They also need to be counseled on the, um, yes, very important, the adherence um, of the medication and um, take it appropriately because certain medications are taken weekly, some are taken daily, so they need to know uh, which is uh, which mm. does adherence fall by the wayside when things sort of resolve a little bit and they feel better mm-hmm. yep we have patients who tend to stop the treatment when they see that um, there's nothing much on the skin but actually what mm-hmm. they do not uh, they do not see is actually the inflammation underneath is still um, going on and because this um, GPP they tend to have um, flares so that's one of the characteristic of a uh, uh, patients with GPP, they have um, flares. Uh, um, could you explain a little bit about that? Uh, it seems like with psoriasis, flare-ups are a common term. Uh, yeah. So with pustular psoriasis, what, what does that mean? Yep. So whenever they have flares, so for example, they are normal, nothing on the skin, then suddenly something may trigger it. For example, if they have infection or if they take certain medications that uh, can predispose to pustular psoriasis, uh, stress, hormonal imbalance. So all that can trigger a flare of uh, pustular psoriasis where they develop all those tiny, tiny pustules on the red uh, patches um, on the skin. If it's mild, it can still be managed as um, outpatient with the dressing and the appropriate medication, but severe cases usually need some admission. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, following up on Dr. Abzura's point about this treatment adherence, and I was thinking of from a public policy-making um, perspective, how do we actually address this? There was a case, you know, uh, trying to launch this navigator program, you know, but it's on a very pilot scale. They were, th- they were talking to us about this, um, whereby this, uh, you have a nurse or somebody who will then see the patient on a, on a, on a regular basis and then um, will follow up on, on you know, the, the, on follow up, how are you doing yeah. well with the treatment and things like that. So if we do have that, they go to people... No, especially say in rural or even in urban areas, so they f- follow up. But so they instead of doctors going directly, you have nurses who have been assigned to follow up on on the on yep. the medication. That is uh, one of the project that we are embarking on. Yeah. It's still in the planning stage. Yeah. So hopefully, once it's uh, materialized, we, the, the plan with this project is we're going to train a small group of nurses um, so that they can be the contact person of any patients mm. with GPP. Because like what you said, it's true. Whenever you come to the clinic, rarely us doctors have like uh, enough time to explain yeah. about the disease and all that. But um, understandably, because there are many patients that we need to see, so we do not um, have uh, enough time to uh, explain everything. So yeah. by having this group of nurses who know more on GPP, hopefully they can advise yeah. 
um, the patients in terms of what to do when they're experiencing a flare, how to take their medications. So it can yeah, be managed so at the community level, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, this is great to hear that such a patient navigator program mm -hmm. is currently uh, being uh, considered for and the, the GPP. name is very apt. GPS. GPS. Oh, I love GPS. that. Yeah. GPS. No, because the uh, the the same um, uh, approach has been adopted for cancer, mm -hmm. and it seems like for chronic complex conditions like uh, cancer now for for GPP, uh, where you need uh, close supervision, constant um, uh, advice, uh, monitoring, you can actually have these people who are trained, even if they're not necessarily medically trained, they can be community uh, individuals who are able to give a little bit of basic advice or at least um, keeping a close eye on uh, the treatment adherence for that particular patient. Mm -hmm. And it is something that has worked successfully. I think Cancer Research Malaysia has demonstrated very clearly mm -hmm. the, the benefits of a patient navigator program mm -hmm. within the cancer space. and. I'm very sure that with it being deployed for GPP, it will probably show the same kind of successful wow. results. So mm -hmm. very good to, to hear that we will now have a GPS yes. uh, for, <laughs> for these GPP. patients. Excellent, <laughs> name, excellent. Yeah. yeah. So so we covered sort of, um, you know, getting accurately diagnosed, um, navigating your way through treatment, uh, and of course, uh, making sure that adherence and follow-up comes through. We'll go for a quick break now and come back to look at what other barriers are faced by patients with generalised postular psoriasis when it comes to accessing treatment. Today on the Public Health Show, I'm joined by my co-host Azrul Muhammad Khalib and our guests Dr. Azura Muhammad Afandi, consultant dermatologist and Dr. K. Tiruchalvam, president of the Psoriasis Association of Malaysia. Stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. On our public health show today, we're discussing the burden of generalised pustular psoriasis. And I'm joined by my co-host, Azrul Mohamad Khalib from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. And our guests, Dr. Azura Mohamad Afandi, consultant dermatologist, and Dr. K. Tiruchalvam, president of the Psoriasis Association of Malaysia. So to pick up from where we left off before the break, are there other barriers, Dr. Azura, faced by patients with psoriasis? Um, and I think we really need to look at all forms of psoriasis, including plaque as well as pustular psoriasis, when it comes to accessing treatment and the follow-ups. Mm -hmm. Yep, um, first and foremost, because uh, there are not many dermatologists in Malaysia. And like what you say, there's a disparity in terms of where they are based yeah. at. Okay, mm. So if we talk about Klang Valley, not an issue. There are many uh, dermatologists in Klang Valley. But what if we go to other countries like uh, Kelantan, Sabah, Sarawak? Other states, yeah. yeah so there are not uh, many dermatologists to begin with. So there is definitely a disparity. And um, in terms of um, the treatment also, not all hospitals can provide these um, DMARTs. Um, it's only available in centres with uh, resident dermatologists. Ah, I see. So yeah, the patient may not know. They may approach a hospital thinking that it can be treated there, but they may not have the appropriate treatment for them. So what happens mm. if that hospital doesn't have a dermatologist and can't prescribe that? They should refer the patient to centres with dermatologists. 
colleges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where presumably then yeah, each there's state, a waiting yeah, each, list though, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. each state will have a um, government hospital with the dermatologist, most of the state, mm-hmm. except Perlis, but we're getting one hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, One. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll start with Which one. Which is better than zero. <laughs> zero. Okay, I know. <laughs> No, but but you know it goes goes to the question of uh, the allocation of resources and the disproportionate number in uh, maybe the private and public sector. So, mm-hmm. in this particular case for uh, particular psoriasis, is it fair to say that most of the expertise is really in the public sector where you are at right now, rather than in the private? Because I've heard some cases where uh, doctors in the private sector they are not willing to um, deal with uh, instances such as GPP and immediately refer them to the public sector because they feel that they're better placed, the expertise is there, and maybe the treatment is available as well. So is that a fair Mm. thing to say? I think private dermatologists, they are well apt in managing uh, GPP also, but um, because of the severity of the disease and the chronicity of it, if they're not covered by insurance, I think hence the reason why they are referred mm. um, to a government uh, setting. But I think the private dermatologist is as equally... Um, I mean, they, they know how to manage uh, GPP. Mm. I mean, if they have an inpatient set, setting, it shouldn't be a problem. But those without an inpatient um, setting, if they only have a clinic, it may be a problem because the patients will need to be admitted at some point when they have a flare. Mm. Mm. Dr. Thiru, from the patient advocate's perspective, what are some of the barriers that you'd like to see being addressed? Chief among them would be um, the high cost of accessing, say, the you know the gold standard in uh, psoriatic treatment is uh, biologics. It can vary from 20,000 to 50,000, you know, that kind of thing, which is beyond most of most Malaysians right now. And um, we are, That's 20,000 to 50,000 per, per, per patient year. Per, per year. Per year, yeah. you know. Mm. So, um, you, you know, the, the resources yeah. with the public sector, they are a bit, you know, they're a bit constrained by their budget for the for year. Sure. Thing. So it is very difficult for many patients. Uh, unfortunately, in Malaysia, the number, even if you look at the Malaysian psoriasis registry, I think less than 10% of the patients are under bi- biologics, are 15, less than 15%. Less than 2%. Two 1.7%. Wow. <laughs> yeah, under biologics. So, I mean, if you compare that, say, with South Korea or other countries, it will be 31%, things like that. But because they have a different health financing system. Exactly. This goes back to that question, actually. And so um, this is a a key question right now. So so most patients would definitely, you know, as I said, they would like to, uh, tomorrow they would like to see a clear skin. Mm. Biologics affords that kind of, uh, you know, possibility yeah. and and they they would all like to so in a sense you are creating a, what we call a equity problem there itself you know the, those in the finan- in the private sector those who who can pay who are under some insurance schemes they, they are prepared to pay for that so they are there so this is one of our, our areas that we would like to uh, challenges that we I think patients have told us one secondly is that uh, they they were saying that uh, maybe this is a case of you know in, uh, in Klantan and in in in, in Trangano and others, whereby the the waiting time to see a specialist is a dermatologist in this or rheumatologist. That's also another a, a long waiting time for them. Mm-hmm. So how do we address this uh, this uh, this problem? 
and also if we can improve, I think what patients have been telling us is if we can cut down on this misdiagnosis thing, you know, and that will be, be helpful, mm-hmm. like, you know, in the long run. But immediately for many of them, it's uh, um, how do I re- reduce uh, the impact on the pockets, like, you know. We, in the association we did many years ago, a few years ago, we managed to get uh, approval from LHDN so that uh, expenses until Azura, till about 6000 or 8000 you can claim from uh, income tax relief. Mm. Mm. Uh, but, you know, 8000 is not much. For people who are spending mm. 25000 and things like that, it's mm. quite a lot, mm. yeah. But it is some measure, yes. Yeah. yeah, but with the cost of um, biology, we hope um, the policymaker is able to see that it's not the... Uh, in terms of cost alone, they should look into, yeah. but it's actually the long-term benefit and the, the patient uh, will gain when their skin is okay. They can contribute more to the so- society. And even we have done a cost-benefit analysis to show that despite the increase in cost of the biologics, but um, the monetary gain from the, the patient being able to contribute back to the society um, is there. And it also helps to reduce all the comorbidities associated mm. with uh, psoriasis itself. Mm. So we're not just treating the skin only, we're treating also the comorbidities associated with psoriasis. Yeah. So mm. essentially we're looking at better outcomes uh, mm-hmm. for yeah. not just the patient, but actually the health system overall benefits right. when a person is able to be effectively treated uh, for uh, fastidial psoriasis if the treatment is available to them. But, you know, I just wanted to go back to uh, one particular point which was mentioned by, by Dr. Tiru just now, which is, uh, you know, the, the numbers that were being quoted, you know, 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, I mean, how much of that is out of pocket? Um, because we know that healthcare expenditure in Malaysia is on the increase as more and more Malaysians become unwell. Um, and households are falling into financial distress or even financial catastrophe, uh, which means a third of household income is spent on healthcare. So in this particular case, is this very much subsidised by, by the government? I mean, we are looking at treatment that could be quite costly. Um, is, is, is it sufficient in terms of subsidisation or should there be more? Yeah, in terms of funding, yes, we're that there's not much um, that is available for us to use, um, and we have to outsource a few measures. Okay, for example, for the Muslim patients, we will go um, via zakat. Okay, there's also tabung bantuan perubatan, okay, which uh, is. Uh, something that we can explore, but it's not all patients are eligible to get all this assistance. So it's the M40 group is actually yeah, the one that they're not eligible. Yeah. yeah, They're not eligible for this, but hopefully we will get something that can benefit um, patients across all across. Their, it doesn't matter whether they're at the B40 or M40. That's going mm. to come back to health financing, right? Yes. Because yeah. Dr. Thiru, you said the, the, the countries you quoted that can provide those treatments, they have financing uh, schemes in place. We have to wrap up this discussion though. Perhaps we can uh, end with a takeaway message from each of you. Uh, Dr. Azura, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Just to let everybody know that generalised pustular psoriasis is a subtype of psoriasis. It's not a common subtype, but it can be life-threatening. 
and if you suspect that you may have uh, this uh, condition, um, please uh, seek advice uh, with the dermatologist because we have a treatment that uh, we can give to alleviate the condition and hopefully once the medication is registered to be used in Malaysia, we can use um, this effective treatment to treat um, our patients with generalised pustular psoriasis. Dr. Thiru? To have GPP patients of generalised pustular psoriasis, we want them to come to psoriasis station in Malaysia, tell us your problems so that we can we can share your burdens together. Together we can do uh, we can do something, mm. and uh, we look forward to uh, a better future. That's true. Well, you know, shall we? Uh, the uh, federal budget's just around the corner. Uh, it's going to be tabled uh, in Parliament, and I just wanted to add on to. Uh, Dr. Azura and, and Dr. Tiru's words, uh, but also by saying that uh, it's important that that uh, despite the smaller number of, of people living with fistula psoriasis uh, being much smaller compared to the larger group of people who are living with other mm. uh, conditions, dermatological conditions, and even psoriasis, plaque psoriasis itself, it's important that this group, as was mentioned just now, is not left behind and that their needs... Uh, especially also have to be taken into consideration since it is possible to be life-threatening. So we are not just talking about treating a condition, we are also saving lives when it comes to pustular psoriasis. So mm-hmm. I do hope this is taken into consideration by uh, whoever is listening and, <laughs> and best of luck to everyone yeah. with the upcoming tabling of the budget. Thank you so much for joining me for this discussion today, Dr. Azura Mohammad Afandi, consultant dermatologist, Dr. Thiruchalvam, president of the Psoriasis Association of Malaysia, and my co-host Azrul Mohammad Khalid from the Galen Centre for Health and Social Thank Policy. You. This has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.